2 Samuel chapter 5. Yeah, anyone who wants to join the fast for the folks going to New Orleans who will be leaving on Sunday, uh, they'll be meeting at breaking the fast at 6. So. Anyone need a Bible? Bible, anyone? Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 5. Let's pray before we begin. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for uh, just being such a blessing to us, Lord, for uh, for being the way truth and the life, God, for pruning those areas out of our life that are, that are dying, Lord, and for just giving strength to those areas of our life that you just want to bless, and those areas of our life that um, really you want to just use, and, and Father, we just thank you just for your faithfulness and in the way, Lord God, that uh, and we never had uh, from human parents, Lord God, just perfect discipline, perfect love, perfect uh, kindness, perfect rebukes, Lord. We thank you for that. We just pray, Lord, that tonight it would just be a continuation of that, Lord, a continuation of that work in our lives and in our heart. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Second Samuel chapter five. Second Samuel chapter five. I'm going to read the first few verses here. It says that then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, "Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also, in time past, when Saul was king over us." You were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king uh, at Hebron. And King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 40 years. In Hebron he reigned over Judah, seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. And so David, uh, we have been with him now for a while. Uh, he's living, he was living a life of ex- obscurity uh, in uh, uh, sort of the, the, the pastures uh, outside of Bethlehem. And uh, the Lord raised him up, anointed him. He was introduced uh, to uh, Israel uh, through slaying Goliath, and pretty soon he was at the king's table. Uh, He was a commander of thousands. He was married to the king's daughter, but everything turned on its head, and the king, Saul, tried to start going after him and and, and killing him. And uh, pretty soon for... for, he was running for his life, and, and he was in that sort of mode for about 10 years, and it looked like it was never going to uh, end, and he actually eventually flees Israel, and, uh, 
and then at, at, at one point, uh, he's, he's living in Philistine. He decides to actually uh, join the Philistines against, uh, against Israel. He'd become uh, so sort of out of God's will. Uh, and that's what happens when we get out of God's will. We start doing crazy things, even if it's uh, sitting in the seat of mockers. And, and God miraculously saves him from going into battle. Uh, but he goes home, and everything that he has... Uh, he lost. Everything was burned down in the city of Ziklag. And his uh, uh, wives were carried away. The families of all his soldiers were carried away. And uh, within a few days of that, he was king. And so he went from losing absolutely everything and to seeing his whole life smoldering before his eyes to having everything restored to actually being made king. And, and, and so just such a lesson that no matter how bad it gets in your life, no matter how uh, uh, much at the bottom of the barrel, that if you're a child of God, if you turn to him, which David did uh, when he saw that he had lost everything, uh, God will restore you. He will restore you. Uh, and then it says that... Uh, uh, you know, he recovered everything that had been taken away from him. And, and then uh, at that point, Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. And that instead of just going in and sort of taking over Israel, he sought the Lord. And the Lord told him to, to go. And he, so he inquired. And uh, 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 the Lord told him to, to go to Judah. And so he was set up as king of Judah and, and Benjamin. Uh, but uh, the Saul's general Abner set up one of Saul's son Ishbosheth over the ten northern tribes. So you do have a brief period of time at the beginning of David's reign where the northern tribes uh, were governed by this other guy Ishbosheth and uh, David over Judah and uh, Benjamin. And but over time, uh, Abner began to realize that he was fighting God, and we talked a lot about that a few weeks ago. That you know, sometimes in our life, for whatever reason, we just we fight God. You know, we know we're not supposed to be going down a particular path, but we just fight and fight and fight. And Abner finally realized that, and he actually uh, basically delivers the the ten tribes of the north uh, to uh, David. And uh, some crazy things happen uh, that, uh, you know, Ishbosheth, when he hears uh, um, about what's going on, he sinks into de- depression. A bunch, of pe- a bunch of men go and kill him, and the murders bring his head to David. And in f- verse 36 of chapter 4, David declares the national day of mourning, uh, not what you would expect 3,000 years ago, uh, but this is uh, David, who's a type of Christ. He's a forerunner of Christ, and uh, he does things God's way, and uh, he, he actually mourns uh, these, uh, his for, former enemies uh, here. And uh, in verse 36, now it says in chapter, um, in chapter, actually it's chapter 3, it says, Now all the people took note of it, and it pleased them, since whatever the king did pleased all uh, the people. And so... Um, 
uh, actually he was mourning for, for Abner there, and then the same type of thing uh, happens uh, with Ishbosheth. And so uh, at the beginning of, second, uh, of chapter 5, it says in verse 1, it says, Indeed, we are your, the, are your bone and, and, and your flesh. And, and, you know, that's an important uh, point in leadership. It, it's that, you know, leaders need to, to be with the people, uh, you know, that's one of the things that I feel like uh, Calvary Chapel, uh, uh, that God has really used uh, Calvary Chapel churches. The pastors are, are, are normal people. Very few of them have been to seminary. Uh, they're just a, a regular bunch of guys. When you go to these pastors' conferences, it's, it's actually very heartwarming. And, you know, I, when I first went to Calvary Chapel, it was, so, uh, it, it was such a relief to me. Uh, when I first showed up at a Calvary Chapel about 13 years ago, um, because I, I felt I could just be normal, uh, and, and and you know even today, uh, you know at home in the summer, you know I, I I'm one of these guys I I get hot very easy, so I wear tank tops, you know, around the house, and every once in a while I want to run into someone in the neighborhood. It's like, what? You're a pastor? What are you doing at a tank top? You know, uh, and and but there, there there's such a uh, a, a feeling uh, in this country. I heard. Uh, there's one story from Gail Irwin that in one part of Louisiana about 20, 30 years ago, it was so in bondage to legalism and the pastors were so oppressed by what was expected of them. He talked about this one pastor that mowed his lawn in a suit. Can you imagine that? And the thing is, I believe that because, um, I, uh, because you know, I got, I got a taste of, of that type of thing uh, at the beginning of the Christian life. But it's, it's so great to be able to just be who I am. And, and that's uh, what David was. He was, you know, he went out to, to, into the battle and, and he was with them. You know, he, he went with them uh, right into battle. And, uh, and it says in verse 2, it says, the other thing here about spiritual leadership, just a lesson in spiritual leadership, one, uh, you, need to, you, you need to relate to the people. You need to be with the people, uh, bone, and, uh, bone of their bones, flesh of their flesh. Also in verse 2, it says, the people uh, of all Israel came to David and said, uh, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and, and be over Israel. And so it's important, just that spiritual anointing. You know, you want to see God uh, in the life of, of whoever it is who's leading you. And, and you know, and, and this includes the people in your life. You know, you should be out there, and, and the people in your life should get, see God's anointing on your life. Uh, whether it's in your uh, apartment complex, whether it's uh, in your uh, neighborhood, or, or whether it's uh, at work or at school or whatever, uh, you know, you should be... Uh, shepherding the people uh, just as David did, and, and they should be seeing that anointing uh, in your life. And so David, uh, finally at long last, is made king over all Israel. And so he did rule just over Judah for about seven years and six months, uh, but then he ruled uh, an additional 33 years over um, all of Israel, all 12 tribes. And so then in verse 6, uh, it says this, it says, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, uh, You shall not come here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. 
Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And now David said, on that day, whoever climbs up uh, by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, uh, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore, they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around him from the Milo and inward. Uh, so David went on and became great, and the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And so uh, here you see uh, David uh, taking over Jerusalem. And it's really interesting to me that Saul never did this. Saul never had taken over Jerusalem. But David uh, knew that the uh, the purposes of God, deep in the heart of God, that, that Jerusalem uh, must uh, become the centerpiece of, 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 of worship and, and government in Israel. And God had said to, to Moses in Deuteronomy, he said, I will choose a place for you to worship. And it's funny that Saul never even bothered figuring out what the place was. I think it's very possible that he knew what the place was, uh, but never bothered uh, to go uh, get it. Uh, and so, uh, when you see uh, a verse uh, like this, just, just a little lesson for you in, in reading the Bible. When you see a verse uh, like verse 10, it says, So David went on and became great. Your antennas should go up. When, you know, every t- once in a while you'll see that about, about Samuel or about Elijah or, or, or someone like that where all of a sudden there's a verse and, and it's almost like the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to pause. It's, in verse 10 it says, So David went on and became great. Well, where it says so, what, what does that mean? What, 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 why was he able to go on and become great at that time? Well, there's a principle here and that is he took Jerusalem, and, and taking Jerusalem was a major part uh, in, in, in his becoming great. And so this is a principle, by the way, for all of us, that there is a, there's a higher ground in your life that God wants you to take. And, and, and there's a piece of high ground that God wants to capture and, const- and control, at, which will set the stage for everything else he wants to do in your life. I really believe that. A piece of high ground that causes all the other pieces to come together. That's what happened to David when he took uh, Jerusalem. There's a holy city, a Jerusalem, that needs to be cleaned out and occupied. Uh, and, and, and what happens in our life, you know, it can be anger, it can be money, it can be lust, it can be pride, it can be slothfulness, it can be a relationship that's just draining us, or, or it can be, some of us, it's isolation. It's like we don't want to have anything to do with people. Uh, but whatever it is, uh, God wants to take control of that area of your life. And, and so what ha- often happens is that sin in our life or the some area of our life, um, it will mock us and, and it will say, you know, you're never going to control me. That's what sin does. So if you're never going to get a hold of me. And that's exactly what the people who lived in Jerusalem were saying to David. It says in verse 6, it says, you shall not come in here but the blind and the lame will repel you. In other words, you're powerless to come here and take me. And that is how sin is with us. It, it can almost mock us after, after a while. Uh, but the question is, are we going to be like Saul and just sort of skimper away? 
Or are we going to be, in Ephesians 6, talks about being strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and, and go possess it. And, and, and so uh, David here um, uh, takes Jerusalem. And you know, one of the verses I like is 2 Timothy uh, 2.20. It says this, In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Let me tell you, if you don't deal with your anger, if you don't deal with that lust, if you don't deal with that slothfulness, that laziness in your life, God's not going to be able to use you. At least not the way he wants to. If you don't deal with those areas in your life, you've got to take, you got to go clean out those Jerusalems uh, just as David did. This was a prime piece of property, this Jerusalem, uh, that God had to get hold of for sort of Israel to move on and for David to become great. Uh, so, um, you know, and the Lord wants to, to do that with you and, and and God forbid that he he should ever uh, lead us to uh, we should ever get into a a, a place where he, you know we're essentially we're we're not ready to go. I remember a few years back this Christian university was um, in the national spotlight and and it was just so it was so tragic and sad that the president got on the media and just started lashing out at the media. He just you know. You guys are a bunch of wolves, which of course we know they are. But you know, you don't you don't go on national TV and just froth at the mouth in anger. And I'm uh, and I'm thinking to myself, oh God, I you know never put me in a place of leadership where I am going to just disparage your name like this guy is doing right now. And so there is a Jerusalem uh, that he uh, wants to get a hold of in our life, but. What happens uh, as soon as David conquers Jerusalem? What happens uh, when we, uh, we're, we capture a certain uh, area in our life? What, what happens when there's a great spiritual victory in our life? What always, always, always happens? There will be an attack from the enemy. And that's exactly what happens here. It, it says, in uh, two things, and this is the way Satan always works, you know, I was really excited. I just love studying for this lesson because this is all so true. One, he will attack you from within. And two, he will attack you from without. And how does he do it? How does he do? How does he, uh, as soon as David, he, 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 he gets Jerusalem, what happens? Um, it says that, uh, uh, verse 12 says, So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Verse 13, Satan attacks from within. What does David do? David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Heber. And also more uh, sons and daughters were born of him. And these are the names of all those who were born of him. And, and you know, you can, you can read those names. A lot of them are, are, are hard. But, uh, you know, this, this, is, this is Satan coming in. And, and I tell you, uh, this was going to be... Uh, something that would uh, lead uh, not to David's ruin, but to David's disgrace, attacking him from within. He had that area of lust in his life that he couldn't deal with. with. Satan knew it, and what does he do? He goes in and he starts taking on concubines, taking on wives. Later, that's going to become a huge problem for him. When does it happen? Right after this great spiritual victory. 
He, 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 he wins Jerusalem. What does he do? He takes concubines and wives from Jerusalem. Let me tell you, that has red flags all over it. That, that, that's the enemy. What's the second thing he did? From without. Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David, and David uh, heard of it and uh, went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and de- deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And so... Uh, he was attacked from within, and here he is attacked from without. And so when you, uh, are, when, when you start uh, really walking with the Lord and possessing those Jerusalems in your life, man, Satan will attack you from within. You know, I don't know. Uh, maybe you'll get uh, uh, something on the Internet, some uh, grand marketing scheme to try to uh, uh, make, you know, triple your money in six months and, and then you'll just fall for it. Or maybe it'll be from a porn site or whatever and you'll fall for it or, or whatever. D- David, will, I mean, the Satan will try to, to attack you from within, but then from without, all of a sudden you, you, you'll lose your job or, 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 or something. Or there'll be some uh, something from without, some terrible, uh, you know, uh, terrible problem. And, and how often this happens, even when someone gets saved or when someone gets baptized or when someone first gets into ministry just you see just the attacks come on uh, their life I, you know uh, uh, recently there was um, uh, you know I know of a woman who was uh, who, who was uh, she had a brother who was a Christian she was not and, and, and you know I really believe this this brother who was a Christian was, was, was praying for her and all of a sudden she started going to church and she was going to church for a couple months and, and finally uh, she, uh, she was she was just radically saved. And the, within days of her get, getting radically saved, she found out this brother, who I really believe had been praying for, he himself had fallen into adultery with a woman in his church. And, and this, just, this just crushed her. It just crushed her. And, and, and you know, she's been sort of... Uh, she still hasn't picked herself off the floor. And, 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 and yet, uh, you know, we can look at that... And, um, and, and say, oh, that's just so obvious what's going on. Well, let me tell you, it's not obvious when you're in it. When you're in it, it's just, uh, it's just very confusing. And, and, and so that's why we're here studying the Word of God, so we won't get confused uh, when those, uh, those great attacks uh, come from the enemy. And so uh, the Philistines, uh, so the, the Satan attacks from within. Uh, the, David takes on concubines, and then he, the attack from without. Uh, uh, the Philistines come in. What does David do uh, when he's attacked from without? Uh, well, praise be to the living God. He prays. He prays. Verse tw- uh, at 19, it says, So David inquired of the Lord. What a heartening, heartening thing that is to read. Whenever you read that, just thank God quietly in your heart in, in the Bible because we've been... Uh, We've been going, you know, through the Old Testament. How often we've seen the Israelites just jump into something uh, before praying, including David, just jumping into something before praying, and this is the disaster uh, that follows. But here, um, here, you know, he took nothing for granted, and so he says he inquired of the Lord. Uh, verse 19, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So, so David went to baal Perazim, and David defeated uh, them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. And that's how the Lord is. I love that picture, just like a breakthrough of water, the water 
just, uh, just uh, rushing in. Therefore, he called the name of the place Baal Perazim. And, um, uh, and then verse 21, it says, and, and they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. And so in verse 22, then uh, the Philistines went up again and deployed themselves uh, in the valley of Rephaim. And so de- never think that Satan is going to give up. Uh, so if you do the right thing and you get attacked, if you, whatever, if you, you're attacked from without, you lose your job, your uh, Christian brother fell into adultery, your uh, you know, finances uh, are, are, are ruined, your car is broken into, whatever, you know, uh, and, 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 and you, know, you, you seek the Lord and, and you overcome it. Don't think that Satan's going to... Uh, uh, is going to just give up. He comes right back, uh, as the Philistines do right here. And, and, and what does David do? Does he say, oh, you know, I, I was victorious last time, and I'll do exactly what I did last time. I'll just go right up against them. No, he doesn't. And neither should we. And, and let me tell you, just for my own personal experience, this is the biggest mistake I always make. It's, it's like, you know, every single spiritual battle, every single thing that happens, whether it's something at the job or or something in my extended family that goes wrong, you know, I have some victory, and I think the next time the same problem comes along, you do the exact same thing. No, you go to prayer. And what we'll see now is David goes to prayer, and the Lord gives him a completely different, um, a, a, a completely different plan as to how to overcome the Philistines as David was given the first time. It says, David inquired uh, of the Lord. Uh, sh- Let me see here. Uh, verse 23, you sh- uh, and, and what did God say? You shall not go up. So he wasn't supposed to just go right up and meet them. Instead, it says, Cir- rather circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be, uh, be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly, for then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him, and as he drove back the Philistines from uh, Geba as far as Gezer. And so the Lord tells him to do a completely different thing. And, 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 you know, this is how the Lord gets us to continually go before him. I'm convinced if David went right up into battle, he would have lost. And, 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 and so the, the Lord always wants us seeking him. And, and you have this uh, thing here that happens, which to me, this was just an enormous blessing that God wanted to bless David with. He wanted him to get a very rare glimpse into his supernatural army. So what, what's going on here in verse 24? When you hear the sound of marching at the tops of the mulberry trees, that's the angel. That's the heavenly host. That's the spiritual host that, that all of us have when we're in warfare uh, that you know, we may not know about, but you do see this uh, throughout, the, throughout the Bible. And you know, David was just, uh, what a blessing that he that he was able to, to go to the Lord the second time, and the Lord was able to show him something that very few other people have ever had uh, the privilege of, of seeing. Uh, he got a glimpse into really the enormous host, the enormous power of God that backed up uh, everything that he does. And, and so, you know, God, God has a heavenly host, and he will get the job uh, done. Okay. So, chapter 6, 
chapter 6, And David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with uh, all the people who were with them from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. So uh, David, uh, it now from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, is king over the entire Israel. There's now a, a God-appointed king in place, uh, but there is still something missing. There's a huge void, and what is that void? It's Israel, it's the center of Israel's spiritual life. You know, you've got to remember at this time there was no temple, there was no place to sacrifice, there was no community of priests. Saul had, had wiped out the whole community of priests at Nob. And so the Ark of Covenant and the mercy seat, uh, which was where God dwelt. It, it represented God's presence. It was holed up in some guy's house, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. And, and, and you know, the, the wonderful picture of, that to me is presented to me here is, is Do- David is, becomes just incredibly aware of it. It's, it's basically the first thing that, that, that comes across his mind when Israel is united. It's like, wait a second. What about the Ark of Covenant? What about that? We got to get things right. We got to get things, uh, make things straight. And, and, you know, if you're following the Lord and you walk into a place or a community where God has been sort of uh, removed from the community, let me tell you, uh, it will be days, if not hours, uh, that you realize, you know, something is very, very wrong here. And so I hope that every single person uh, in this room, if you go into a city or wherever, and, and, and you know, the, the presence of God is, is not there because there's not a church, there's not a prayer meeting, there's not a Bible study, you'll be the first one to yell out, you know, we got to do something about this. And, 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 and you know, to me, it, it's amazing to me that for 40 years, Saul didn't do a thing. It, it never even crossed his mind. He, Saul was king for 40 years. never crossed his mind that... This Ark of the Covenant, the, the, the most glorious uh, uh, piece of, of uh, you know, vessel of the Lord that Israel possessed, was holed up completely out of sight. And you never hear it even being mentioned. And, and, and you know, once again, it's, it's, uh, uh, it, it's, there's a striking comparison uh, to David. Uh, to, to, uh, and, um, and Saul. And, and to me, it's a comparison of, of uh, among many other things, of grace and, and legalism, as we've discussed before. If you just compared these two men's lives, David and Saul, on the outside, it looks like Saul's a much more righteous person. It really does. I mean... Saul never had a Bathsheba. He never uh, took his je- one of his uh, h- highest commanders and sent him out into battle to have him murdered to cover up the fact that he had been sleeping with the guy's uh, wife. Saul never did something like that. Saul, you know, had Jonathan, one of the most righteous people in the, in the history of the world, one of the greatest examples of godliness we have. David had Absalom. Uh, you know, David 
in Ziklag, when he, he went to the Philistine, actually lined up to fight Israel. Saul never did that. And, and, and so, on the outside, externally, you know, you look at the two men and you say, you know, this Saul guy was a more righteous guy. And, and you know something? That is what Jesus just pounded and pounded and pounded over and over again. Not literally, but just with his messages. Over and over again. It's about the heart. Do you have a heart for God? Period. As soon as David got into power, what did he say? We've got to get God in the middle of our life. And, and so what a difference. On the outside, you know, you may have everything right. You may be able to point to the most moralistic life. You may have a Jonathan as a son. You may have no Bathshebas in your life. You never uh, were a mocker of the people of God. But let me tell you, it doesn't mean a thing if you don't have a heart for God. And, and so David here uh, comes, uh, I think it's just wonderful, he just comes into, uh, 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 to, into Israel. He's made king over the whole country, and the first thing he wants to do, he wants to make God the center of life. It says in verse 5, Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord of all kinds of instruments of, of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cisterns, and on cymbals. And in the parallel passage in 1 Chronicle 13, we see of who was at this, uh, this, this incredible procession. David went out throughout Israel and gathered all the captains um, of hundreds and the captains of thousands, in other words, the most prominent people in all the country, and he brought them before uh, to, to be a part of this tremendous procession where they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant uh, to Jerusalem. What a way to establish your kingdom. Uh, this had to have just a major effect on the nation of Israel. And, and you know, you do have to wonder why so many people ignored uh, the whole thing with the ark being holed up in a house for so long. But I really do believe, uh, and this is what leadership is all about, I do, really do believe that when David had the courage to, to talk about it with the people, they're like, you know, you're right. What have we been thinking all this time? And so all these, uh, you see from First Chronicles 13, all the people uh, gather uh, around him, and, and they're in this procession. So, and, and in First Chronicles 13, it says, David talked to all of the people what, uh, what he wanted to do, and it says, it, it, and they responded in First Chronicles 13, it says, it seemed right to the people. You know, that's a good thing. That's a real good thing when it seems right to, uh, to the people to do something. But guess what? There was something missing. The Lord also had to be in what was going on. And, uh, and as we will see, uh, the Lord wasn't in uh, at least how it was being done. And, and here, uh, these verses, these next few verses are some verses that have caused many people to scratch their head uh, for the last few thousand years. Let me read it. Verse 16, And when uh, they came to Nashon's uh, threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the Lord Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? And uh, you know something, this thing with Uzzah, I got to tell you, uh, it, it, it was something I, I struggled with enormously when I first read it. 
And uh, p uh, please, please don't take this the wrong way, but the more I grow in the Lord, the more I just so appreciate what happened here. Not that I would like to have been Uzzah. I haven't believed we're going to meet Uzzah in heaven one day. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he did something that was, you know, he, he had the right heart. What had happened is that the Ark of the Covenant was on a cart and they were pulling it and, and, you know, the Ark was about to fall down. And so he thought, you know, well, if the Ark's going to fall down, I better keep it up. So he touched it. And, 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 and so here's the principle, and please don't miss this. You know, just because David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant, which had been hidden from the people for 40 years, and he's trying to make God the, 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 the center of public life, just because his motives are right, just because there's 30,000 people there, just because there's a gigantic worship band, uh, an amazing, all the dignitaries of the land, uh, that doesn't give him license to disobey the Lord. And the fact of the matter is, if you look in Numbers chapter 4, you don't have to turn there, but the ark was being transported in a way that was... Uh, contrary to the word of God, the very in, in, in a very very specific way, in Numbers chapter four, it said whenever the ark was was transported, it was supposed to be covered by badger skins to uh, to uh, to protect it, and then there was supposed to be a, a blue cloth over it, and then it was supposed to be put on poles and carried on shoulders uh, by the Kohites, which was uh, you know the the descendants of Aaron and. Uh, and and then in in Numbers chapter um, in Numbers chapter fourteen verse fifteen it says uh, it, it says there it says when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary including the ark of the covenant it, it says it, it, it says whether sons of uh, where the sons of Kohath shall come and carry them but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die this is the ark of the covenant. And God was, was trying to raise up Israel out of the ark, muck and the mire by demonstrating his holiness. And one of the ways he did this was through the Ark of the Covenant. And one of the ways he pointed towards the sacrifice, the future sacrifice of Christ, was, was showing them just how holy he was. And remember the Ark of the Covenant, at one point... There's 250 guys who, who thought they wanted to be uh, really spiritual, and they got their, uh, their incense, and they lit their candle, and they went before the ark, and every single one of them died. A fire came from heaven and killed every single one of them. And, and why was that? Because in the Old Testament, there was no plan for sort of man to come before the Lord. Uh, God was holy. And, and when sin went before into a holy place, uh, it was immediately devoured. And God wanted people to know that. And, 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 and so the, the only person who could ever uh, approach the, the, the Ark of the Covenant was the high priest. And that was after about uh, all kinds of baptisms and washings and about 25 sacrifices. And, and so the reason, the, the reason for, for giving us all this instruction of the Ark of the Covenant is that see, we will so much in a greater way appreciate what Jesus did for us. That we can go right into the uh, into the altar and, and approach God and, and 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 the throne of grace and the throne of mercy and, and and we can approach it and and we don't have to fear 
Even though God is so incredibly holy that even when you, you have this guy Uzzah touching the ark, he was immediately killed. That's how, that is how holy uh, that, um, uh, that, that, that God is. And, and, and so, uh, you know something? Worship is a holy thing. Worship is holy. And, and you know, uh, we can have freedom in worship. There is a certain freedom in worship, but we better have reverent hearts. And so there's at least three reasons for this, uh, God's judgment here. One is, is that great knowledge, with great knowledge comes great responsibility. You know, the Philistines used a cart. Do you guys, any of you remember that? When the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines, it went around uh, to different Philistine cities and plagues and all kinds of stuff broke out against the Philistine people. And finally, they put it on an ox cart and, and put it back uh, towards Israel. And, and they sort of got away with doing that. But guess what? They were the Philistines. They were a pagan people. They didn't have the law. Israel did. And second reason for God's judgment is there's a right way to, to do this thing. And, and God judged uh, the wrong way. Uh, there's a right way to follow the Lord. There's a right way to seek the Lord. There, there is... There is absolute truth, like we were talking about this morning. And, and, and it's not politically correct to say, but there is. And so uh, David uh, found out uh, eventually uh, the right way to do it. And third is that it's so important that we, uh, that we have a holy fear and reverence for, for, for the Lord. Uh, for, you, know, you know, we come in here at Calvary Chapels and... and uh, you know, the pastors dress in jeans, you know, and teach the services. People come to the services, you know, in shorts and, and, and T-shirts. And, and, you know, that's fine. But guess what? Our heart better not be dressed up in jeans when we come in here. We better not have a T-shirt on our heart. God wants, God wants us to, to worship him with a holy fear. He's holy. He's holy. And the only reason we have access into the, into the throne of grace is because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And we need to remember that. And we shouldn't, you, you know, I think, I don't want people showing up, 100% of the people showing up in suits every Sunday. I don't think that's who we are. If you want to wear a suit, that's great. I want people to feel, to, to dress or uh, however they feel that they want to dress. Or, and, and, you know, we can talk about things and we can be casual with each other. But let me tell you, uh, uh, when the body of Christ meets and when we worship and Greg gets up there on Sunday morning and Sunday night, it's a, it's a holy thing. It's a really, really serious thing. If you don't believe it, read about Uzzah here. And, and so don't take this the wrong way. But um, I've become to appreciate this so much, this story. Because it, 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 you know, it's not enough that we just have right intentions. We have to also do things the right way. We need to have, do things according to the word of God. And, and, and so, uh, but this, this all does have a, a wonderful ending. And I think that there's so much to learn from what happens here. It says here that um, uh, the ark... Verse 11, remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now this was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs um, to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. 
And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sounds of the trumpet. And so what do we learn from this? You know, unfortunately, one reaction David could have had, what, what had happened, and you find, you find this out from, uh, you know, reading Chronicles and, and 2 Samuel uh, side by side, David went to the priests and they basically told him what he did wrong. That, you know, you were not transporting. This is the Ark of the Covenant, David. You were not transporting it according to the Word of God. So David found out the way to do that. And, and the thing that's so wonderful about what happens next is you, what a lot of other people, people who would have had a shallow relationship with God, you know what they would have done? It would have been this holy procession, you know, to Jerusalem, you know. You don't mess. We can't, we can't be weird or wild or raise our hands or shout hallelujahs because, you know, of what happened. You know, God may strike us dead. No. When we obey the word of God, we are ushered into a place of just tremendous liberty. And that's the greatest thing about, you know, people, people say, oh, you know, uh, the, obeying every bit of the word of God is so legalistic, blah, 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 and, and it'll just restrict you. No, it doesn't. Look what happens uh, here. It says that David, in verse 14, it says he danced before the, uh, the Lord. Actually, the, wor- the, wor- the word is whirled about. He was twirling around like a ballerina or whatever. I don't know. And, and he, 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 had, he didn't have any clothes on other than a linen ephod. Man, that was sort of a, an act of humility there. So he took off his royal garments. And, and man, this guy was just worshiping with all his might. And you see, that's the freedom that you can have when you obey the Lord. Not obeying God's word is not freedom. That's not freedom at all. That's bondage. And, 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 and never get the idea when you start obeying all of God's word that, oh, it's this restrictive life. No, it's not. It, it's, a, it, it's, it's the abundant life, and, and you know, you see, that, you, you see that here in his life. And, and so what a blessing it was. And then it says that, uh, now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's uh, daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And so, you know, this is inevitably uh, will happen when you're, you're following the Lord. You know, people will despise you. And by the way, it'll happen uh, within the body of Christ. If you have joy, if you have joy in the Lord, there will be people in the body of Christ who look at you and despise you. Uh, You know, ugh, look at that. You know, that is just so uncouth. You know, you know, Jose or Glenda or whoever, uh, you know, just really partying for Jesus, and, 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 you know, you will have this legalistic uh, reaction. Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. Beware when all men speak well of you. And, 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 and so his own wife uh, turns against him. And uh, I love David's reaction. It says in verse 20, when he returned to his own household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, Oh, how glorious the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants. 
as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And, and you know, that's always the criticism that you get. It's like you're just acting like a, you know, a real common, low sort of, uh, you, you know, person without, without pol- uh, polite, uh, high society manners, you know, when you're really following the Lord. You're not being politically correct uh, type of thing. And so David, verse 21, said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father. Ooh, just a little knife in her, her rib there. Uh, instead of your father, I, he, I think he fleshed out a little when he said that, by the way, and all his house to appoint me rule over the people of the Israel over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. Uh, and verse 22, I don't think he was um, fleshing out. He says, and I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. For as, but as for the maidservant of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in high honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. And so, uh, uh, man, the difference between David and Saul. You know, Saul had this, in many respects, had, at least from society, a worldly point of view, had a righteous life on the outside. But he didn't have that heart for God. But here you have this guy. He was filled with so many flaws. that always repented and always just, hey, he had a heart for God. And so when you hear that, um, when you hear that, uh, that saying of David, it said of him that, you know, he's a man after God's own heart. This is exactly what it's talking about here. He, he was a man after God's own heart. He just wanted to bless the Lord uh, to the point where he said, you know, if it means me being undignified, if it means me humbling myself before people, I'll do that. And you know, you and I need to be the same thing. You need to be willing to be undignified, politically incorrect, uncouth, whatever. You need to be able to be that man or woman if God calls you to be that. And, and let me tell you, it'll happen. He is calling you to be that because, uh, you know, sharing your faith and being a man or woman of God is not a dignified thing to be in the year 2006. But guess what? We're called to be that. We want to be uh, men and women, just with hearts just like David after God's own heart. Okay. Wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, lessons here learned as we're going through the life of David. Um, so we're going to close now. We're going to come back in about 10 minutes to pray. If you need to go home, God bless you. Go home if you'd like to stay with us and pray. Let's pray for the Vanacotes in Peru. Let's also pray for the New Orleans trip. We're going to be sending off the men and women next Sunday. It's just a, a wonderful blessing for that. We're also doing some follow-up uh, we're also doing some follow-up with the uh, work that we did in the Mission Maine project. So those three things, please remember to pray for that. Yark, what did you have? Oh, I'm sorry. It's the week after next Sunday. Right. So thank you for correcting that. So the New Orleans, um, the work at the Mission Maine project, and what was the third thing I said? The Vander Cody's. And then if you have any personal prayer requests, Please uh, pray for those as well. Okay, God bless you. You are dismissed.